0: another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, perhaps maybe a little bit more tired than usual, is the Salesman on Twitter, Matt Sells. So Matt, big weekend and really a couple of days for you here. We had some uh, big race where there was a lot of left-hand turns, then a little uh, industry event out in a fun city known as Vegas. So how are you doing? How are you recovering? Getting some extra sleep? Tell me all about it.
1: Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well now. Uh, I got back from Vegas on Friday, just in time to start pumping out all that good Daytona 500 content uh, for you know some betting content, some DFS content, some picks wise con- or uh, price picks content. So yeah, you know it was a it was a fun weekend. Three good races. Um, had some solid wins. Nothing spectacular, but solid wins to build on. So uh, I will take that. Anytime you can play for free or win some money in NASCAR DFS, it's a good weekend. Um, So, yeah. So we're good. And now, uh, you know, clock turned to Monday. And now we get an entire week of MLB and MLBPA negotiating. Now, how long they're going to negotiate for really kind of seems up in the air. Because on Thursday, they had a meeting that lasted, what, 15 minutes? Right? Is it? So, so oh, we, hopefully these ones this week will last longer than that.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the goal, and I think the the big number here it's really a date, but it, it's February 28th. Supposedly that's the latest date that a deal can be made uh, before they, You know, they would they would push back opening day after that point. So we're coming up. So obviously we're going to get more negotiations. So it should be the quantity now, kind of like you said, is the quality going to be there? Are we going to have these? Negotiations where we show up for 15-20 minutes, not agree, no one gives, we call it a day. That will be the big thing to see here. And there's still a lot of sticking points. They're talking about it. Um, our own Jim Bowden had a pretty good article in The Athletic um, talking about kind of the elements of the lockout that we're seeing here. So Obviously, we are hoping we can get to something fantasy baseball players are hoping that we can get to some sort of agreement for all the reasons we talked about. If you go back to even the first edition of this podcast, we talked about why is it harder to draft in a lockout? You know, everything we're talking about is we're assuming that we're still going to get a full 162 games and talking about player projections. If that were to drop, I mean, some of these guys are going to take a little bit of a hit in their numbers. That's just how it is. You know, we're projecting over the course of a full season. So we won't harp too long on the lockout here just because we don't really have a ton of additional information. Some more should be coming out as the week comes on. But Matt, as of now, Monday afternoon, what do you think we get anything by the 28th? Or are you basically set on, you know, I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to put it out into the into the world. But we're likely going to have some sort of delay to the actual regular season, not just spring training.
1: Uh, no, I'm, I'm still pretty hopeful that they'll figure it out. Look, 2020 was a disaster for baseball. They could have just flat-out dominated the sports scene in 2020 for, like, six straight months, right, because there was nothing else happening. NBA took basically forever off. NASCAR, for God's sakes, took 10 weeks off. Um, the NHL basically stopped playing for, like, four or five months. And baseball screwed that up. I don't think they want to rehash all of those problems and further kill the sport. And look, going back to 2020, they put together that season in like three days, right? Everything got figured out as to how the protocols would work, where it would happen, how the playoffs would work, all of that good stuff got sorted out in like three days. Now this is a five-year arrangement for the CBA, and clearly there's more stuff at stake than just one season. But I think when push comes to shove, nobody wants to lose out on the kind of money that they'll lose out on if the season doesn't start on time. Um, So I think they will put it together. I've heard some rumors that we might know something by the 24th, which would be Thursday, um, which is three days from the day we're recording this. So we'll see. Um, But no, I I think that they can get it sorted out and play, um, you know, a full 162 game schedule this year.
0: I certainly appreciate your optimism. Um, Me, on the other hand, I don't know where I fall if it's more optimistic or more pessimistic. We'll just kind of have to see where we go um, and kind of how everything plays out here. But I agree with you in the fact that the desire and greed for money, as well as urgency and a firm deadline do create quite the dynamic duo to get things done. We'll have to see what plays out here. Obviously, we'll keep you updated and it'll be all over Twitter and everything like that. So make sure that you keep an eye there. But as long as the lockout is still going, you know, when you get older, unless, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in college or even in high school for like a fantasy baseball league, the older you get, the harder it is to get 10, 12, 15 people together for a certain time. So drafts are still going to have to happen. Uh, I was on Sirius XM and basically I said, once the date is set, we're not moving it. That's when we're drafting. I found a way to corral you 10 humans together for a draft. I'm not going to try to find another date. We're all 10 can go together. Some have kids, some are on different right. parts of the state, the country. So we, once we establish a date, we are drafting in a new series here at FantasyAlarm.com that you'll see in the MLB draft guide, which if you don't have it yet, go to FantasyAlarm.com and get it now. But some guy on the site, I haven't heard of him, but Howard Bender, I guess, at Roto Guy on Twitter is kind of highlighting some of the top five unsigned free agents at each position. And the first one we got here is at first base so i won't really you know bog you down with your thoughts on freddie freeman and anthony rizzo both know what they are both solid both will be great fantasy assets assets especially the former but a couple other names on here are quite interesting and i'll let you talk about ronald guzman first he was a guy and a couple years ago i was super excited for his prospects and have we really seen it yet from the lefty not quite yet but he is really interesting depending on the spot and now with universal DH, half the league also becomes available to him should they go that route. So why is Guzman a sneaky guy who could sign in a really good spot for fantasy?
1: So he's still 27 years old. So he's still theoretically in the power peak. And if you look, uh, Rick Wolf has a great piece out about where he's tracking numbers. And one of those numbers that he tracks is the amount of 25 home run seasons we see from guys of certain ages over the last um, six or so seasons. And power peaks have been shifting later. So normally, you know, when guys would come up, we would say the power peak was between like 25 and 29. Now it's like 27 to 32. So he's kind of just entering his power peak. He's been hampered with some injuries and a short season that kind of threw off everybody. So I still think that if he gets the at-bats and chance to hit in the right ballpark, he could be a sneaky guy with power uh, that will be obviously only first base eligible, uh, but he'll, he'll likely find a spot at DH as well to protect, you know, an ailing knee or some injury concerns or whatnot. So he's kind of a guy that if he can get the at-bats, the power should be there.
0: And that's the thing with him. We've seen it at times, like even throughout his career, despite number of games played or anything like that, x velocities middling at best maybe even below average but barrel rates are solid other than 2020 he's at least posted a double digit degree a launch angle so it's not like he, he's a worm killer by any means he knows how to elevate the ball and like you said he's entering his power peak don't worry about what happened last year anyone who take anyone who signs him is taking a you know kind of a leap of faith a chance and when he's basically where he's going in drafts at this point you're going to be just fine taking a chance on him so he is certainly A sneaky signing at first base. And another one is going to be uh, Daniel Vogelbach, who the Brewers let walk after last season. I'm kind of reading what Howard has here. And he did hit 30 home runs back in 2019. So power is definitely there. We know that. Left-handed side at the plate. First base. Talk to me about Vogelbach a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think he's a stopgap guy. Like, you know, there's going to be some teams that have some interesting first base prospects coming up but who are still maybe a year or so away um so instead of you know starting the clock on those guys you sign a veteran like Vogelbach who is just a stand in field first baseman nothing special um perhaps better suited for designated hitter um but yeah he's got some he's got some solid pop obviously 30 home runs in 2019 is nothing to scoff at um and there are still several teams that could use a solid lefty bat, which is what Don uh, Vogelbach brings. So, um, could we see him maybe replace a Nelly Cruz um, type in Minnesota? Possibly. Uh, Pittsburgh could use him now that they have the DH and could use some help at first base. Um, there's several interesting spots that he could wind up landing. Uh, but yeah, the, the power, you know, he's a guy you're going to take a flyer on and probably like your last round just to see if you can get 25 homers on your, on your roster, but he's going to kill your average. So be, be aware of that batting average be damned.
0: That's going to be an issue, but the home runs are their first career home run every 18.8 at bats in 2020 it was down to 14, 2020 or 2021. It was up around 23-24, so bona fide power. We know that with him. Like you said, batting average is, let's say, a major liability, and that might be putting it nicely. But if you prioritize roster construction and handle that, you can offset that lower batting average uh, with someone else who has a higher batting average. And the last one of the Pittsburgh fan here, Colin Moran. I know him all too well being a Pittsburgh fan, so he can play both sides of the infield, probably better suited at first base at this point. Um, of the two corner spots, but Colin Moran, he's going to be much like Vogelbach a late round draft. pick. doesn't offer the power that Vogelbach does, but perhaps there's maybe a little bit more upside in terms of batting average, perhaps. So Colin Moran, let's talk about him a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you basically talked about him, right? There's nothing like Howard says in the article there. It's never a good time when Pittsburgh designates you for assignment, given their current state of the roster, um, he was a solid guy a couple of years ago, right? He was a sneaky third baseman and he had a a decently solid season, Uh, but the wheels have kind of fallen off. Um, So yeah, he's, he's never been a power guy. He makes solid contact. So he'll, he'll help you in the average, but if you're looking for a corner infielder, you, you, you want power, right? That's where your power is going to come from both in, Real-life baseball and fantasy baseball, there are certain spots where you need power, and corner infield is one of those, and Moran doesn't really have it, so um, it's going to be tough for him to find at-bats, so he's probably the least draftable guy on this list, hence why he's ranked fifth. Um, He's one of those guys that's probably a better real-life baseball player than he is a fantasy asset.
0: That's what, it, that's what it comes down to with Moran. Decent batting. I wouldn't even dare say a jack-of-all-trades type because he doesn't really do everything across the board. He doesn't run, but he's about average across the board. Like you said, a lot of those guys who are just fine across the board, better suited for reality than fantasy, and that is certainly the case with Colin Moran. But moving away from some guys in the back half of drafts, let's talk about some guys going a little bit earlier on in drafts, kind of do a little bit of ADP talk. And, of course, we do a little bit of this or that.
1: This or that.
0: So first up, we're going to go on the mound. Michael Kopech picked 172. Coming around him, the strike—they're the very good at strikeouts, but yet always injured, Lance McCullers at 176. And Sonny Grace coming in at 179. He was actually the one I almost put as kind of the focal point here, but instead switched to um, more upside with Michael Kopech. So... Michael Kopech at 172, and would you rather have him or McCullers or Sonny Gray a handful of picks later?
1: So this is kind of a problem for me because I've always been more of a Sonny Gray uh, liker than most people. And, you know, aside from his time in New York where he was an absolute disaster, I think he's been a pretty good starting pitcher, both in reality and for fantasy. Um, And so I'm probably going to lean Sonny Gray here. I know the ERA wasn't spectacular last year at a 4.19, um, but if you look at the you know, expected ERA or the xFIP or um, whatnot, they were both significantly lower than the 4.19. In fact, expected ERA was about a run lower at 3.25. Um, his home run per nine was not great last year. It was the highest it's been since 2016, which was his last year in Oakland. Uh, So if he can corral the ball and keep it in the ballpark a little bit better, that ERA will drop back down. So I'm going to go with Sonny Gray mainly because I think the upside to rebound is there. I'm not entirely sure how Michael Kopech is going to be used. We all think he's going to be a starter, but, you know, is he a fifth starter? Is he a sixth starter? Is he kind of a, you know, a jack-of-all-trades type guy where he may start, he may be in the pen, they may switch him back and forth. And McCullers, man, the problem is he just doesn't stay healthy. When he's healthy, he's a great option for fantasy. But that's just not often enough for me to take him.
0: I'm going to lean with you here as well. Take the couple pick discount and go Sonny Gray. The main reason is is I tend to be more risk-averse in fantasy baseball. So I want as minimal risk as possible. Michael Kopech, obviously big-time strikeout guy. But what does he have not necessarily in the tank, but what's, like you said, what's his role going to be? But at the same point, say they do let him start the full year. I mean, for a guy who's had so many injuries and he only threw a hair under 70 innings last year, i right. getting a full workload for that. You know, no shot. But I mean, usually, what, only do think they, what do you think he goes to? About 20 at most innings?
1: Yeah, they only jump on, what, 30 to 50 innings tops a year? I mean, 50 is yeah, a so big if
0: you look top. at that, 100 to 120 innings for Kopech. And then McCullers always injured as well. So I'm just going to go Sonny Gray. I mean, sure, like you said, there's some, the home runs last year were an issue and other issues like that. But Sonny Gray for me carries the least risk of those three. And it could be a roster construction issue. If I need more strikeouts, we'll take some upside. But for me, I'd rather have Sonny Gray amongst that trio. In the outfield, a little bit before where you may consider, you know, the Kopech, McCullers, and Grays of the world, Akil Badu, coming in at thick 156. And then we have Alex Verdugo at 160 and Dylan Carlson at 169. We agreed on the first one. What about of this second trio?
1: Well, I'm going to let you go first here. We were talking a little bit about this one before we started recording the pod. So uh, which one are you taking here?
0: I am loyal to Dylan Carlson, just the fact that i used him so much in DFS last year on the good side of his splits. But I want Badu, you know, he came up, had a great month of June in terms of batting average and nice power in July. Sure. he stunk in August, only hitting 200. And in the second half of the year, batting average is below 250. But if you look over his final 53 games of the year, 246 batting average, so be it. But seven home runs and five stolen bases, you almost triple that and you get a full season's workload. We're talking 21 and 15 for this guy who should be in a much better offense as long as as long as Baez can just stay in the strike zone, maybe every other swing. Just stay in the strike zone a little bit more. But the offense should be better. The kid's super young. There's enough talent. We saw it last year. I'll pay the premium here. Screw the discount with Verdugo and Carlson. Give me the
1: yeah, so Verdugo, I have to admit, was better last year than I thought he would be. I didn't think he was going to be that great of a bat coming over from the Dodgers, but let's face it, he gets a little bit of a bump for all the ballparks he gets to play in. Um, and that lineup's pretty solid. I'm just, I've just never really been a Verdugo guy. I think he does a little bit of everything good, but nothing particularly outstanding. That's just my opinion. Um, Carlson. Has a lot of talent, but the splits are definitely concerning. Um, so I'm with you. I'm going to lean with Akil Badu. I think that guy, everybody, he was the flavor of the week to start the year. Last year when he came out of nowhere and started pounding homers. And then the second half, people kind of tailed off of him a little bit. Because, yeah, you brought up the two forty six batting average in the second half. You know, not great compared to the mid-270s he had in the first half. Um, but you know, even if he goes in the second half this year, even if he's in the mid two fifties and replicates his first half, he's still gonna raise his batting average up to the mid two fifties, which is good considering the fact that he can bring you, you know, he could be a twenty fifteen guy uh, reasonably easily. I mean, he went eighteen and thirteen last year, so um, there's just not that many guys out there that can bring you that power and speed combo with a solid enough batting average to rely on. And let's not forget, yes, they made some, some very good key free agent signings. They still may sign some more bats. They're being talked about, uh, with some other ones, but let's also not forget that they have two guys in Riley green and Spencer and Spencer Torkelson who are coming up and they have very good bats. So this could be a deceptively good Detroit, uh, lineup and the pitching in the, um, AL for that division the AL Central, is not great, right? It's not great, no matter who, what team you look at. It's just not a very good – I mean, aside from a couple of dudes from the White Sox, it's just not a great pitching division. So he should have ample opportunity to put up some nice numbers.
0: dudes in a good spot, and there's, I understand that, you know, picking in the 150s, that spot isn't exactly – it's not overly cheap, and I know it's not early either, but you don't see many guys who are 23, 24 years old put up double digit home runs and steals last year with, you know, a half decent batting average going that late in draft. So how how deep
1: is your, how deep is your 10 or 12 team leagues normally? Like how many rounds do you usually
0: go? I want to say just off the top of my head, I think my one home league that we play, I want to say it's a 23 round draft for 10. So 230 players get popped.
1: Okay. So, and, and I know some of you go, you know, 28 or 30 rounds. You're giving up about a in a 12-team league. Badu's going in, what, the 13th round, maybe early 14th round. So you're basically smack in the middle of the draft. That's not terrible for Badu.
0: Yep, absolutely. So Badu it is. And the last one here, Jesse Winker coming at pick 107. Mitch Hanniger at 109. Chris Taylor slightly back there a little bit at 134. So Jesse Winker at 107 is quite interesting to me. Uh, I'll just kind of save you the the suspense here. I'm going Winker at pick one hundred and seven. I I like him a lot this year in that park yet again. But would you be enticed with Mitch Haniger or even Chris Taylor over Winker and drafts this year?
1: So I'm actually gonna we're we're gonna diverge on this one. I'm gonna go Chris Taylor. Um, I'm gonna take the twenty something pick twenty seven pick savings here, which in a twelve team league is about two rounds, two and a half rounds. Um yes, Winker was very impressive last year. He's got a very good skill set. Um my only problem is that he's he doesn't offer the multi-positional upside that I like. Um and Chris Taylor does. And yes, I'm going to take a hit on the power, but power is everywhere, right? Taylor can steal you some bags, he's going to get pretty solid batting average. He's going to score a nice amount of runs in that Dodgers offense. And he's going to Play a little bit of everywhere, as we know. He he, The guy plays everywhere for the Dodgers. So depending on your league format, he may qualify as many as, like, three spots. Um, so I'm going to go with Chris Taylor on this one. I think they might find some creative ways to get him in the lineup, depending on what Max Muncie's return looks like from the oboe issue. Um, and they have second base might be open – might see some third base time. He can play in the outfield. So I'm going to go with Chris Taylor.
0: And Taylor can also play in the DH spot. So it'll be very interesting with what can happen there. So we can't agree on all of them. So that is completely well and fine there on that one. So a couple other guys I wanted to highlight here before we put a bow on this week's episode. A little bit of a deeper dive here, just considering where they're going. But we got Caban Biggio coming in just inside of the top 300 at pick 290 using NFBCs. ADP since January 1st of this year. Back in 2019, 16 homers, 14 stolen bases in 100 games. He was going to be that next power speed guy, along with Bo Pechette on the same team. They were going to be the guys there. And 2020, eight home runs, six stolen bases. Not too bad. And then 2021 happened. Only played in 79 games. Seven bombs, walks down, strikeouts up, Babbitt down. Pretty much everything went wrong that could happen. For Now, Marcus Simeon is out, but even though he's not there, that offense is still more than powerful enough. So are we buying into a Biggio bounce back here in 2022? I know, you know, price is pretty cheap as it is, but are you going to find yourself having many shares of Biggio here this this season?
1: My biggest problem with Biggio is I don't know how much playing time he's going to get, right? Yes, Marcus Simeon left, but they've got some options they can use at second base. Um, Santiago Espinal kind of took over the the third base role there um, from him late in the season. And yes, the, the bat was okay from Espinal, but the defense was very good. Um, so I'm just a little bit um, off on Biggio, and that might come back to bite me, but I just don't know, like, which Biggio are we going to get? Was he the flash in the pan that came up with all of the, you know, when all of his teammates were going nuts or is it more, you know, what we saw last year and he's just going to be shuffled out because defensively he's only okay. I mean, he's not, he's not great. Now second base I think is his more natural position. Um, But again, they have some, some guys that can fill some spots in various ways. So I'm still not sold on Biggio just yet.
0: And when you look at it, too, from even last year, I know the playing time went down, but just three stolen bases for him last year, too. So if he's not going to run, I mean, at this point, that's going to be his calling card because the batting average is going to be, as we've seen at best in 2020, is about 250. Strikeout rate is probably going to remain elevated no matter what. So if he is not running, he basically is just another middle infielder with you know, home runs, maybe, maybe he can push 20 if he gets enough playing time and all goes well, but probably looking at low to mid teams. I mean, we can find middle infielders, let alone any bat middle home, you know, middle of the road, home run numbers, average to below average batting average. I mean, I don't want to say they grow on trees, but if he's not going to run and add anything positive in the stolen base department, again, even at pick 290, there's other options to go with. And like you said, pointing out playing time, I mean, has he done anything since 2019 to really secure to Toronto that he is the guy that needs to be, or let me say he needs to be in the lineup. He's a guy that needs to be in the lineup every given day.
1: Well, so checking on roster resource right now, they have him at the at second base, which is probably where he's going to play because nobody else in that lineup really um, speaks to playing second base every day. Um the one advantage he has is that he's a lefty, and everybody else in that lineup is a right. Is, is a right. They don't have any switch hitters. So there's that. But right now, they have him in the bottom third of the lineup, which I fully expect because everybody that's ahead of him, George Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Teoscar, Lourdes Gurriel, Randall Grichuk, are all better bats, right? But the guys behind him, Danny Jansen, who's in a playing time fight amongst three other dudes himself between... Him and Alejandro Kirk and Reese McGuire, and they have another young catcher coming up too. Um, And then Santiago Espinal is at third base, mostly for defense, but there's basically no pop there. So um, not really a threat behind him in the order. So that's going to take a little bit of his value away too. So I think playing time, he probably winds up there simply because he's a lefty, but. Man, defensively and offensively, he hasn't done very much in the last two years to convince you that he should be worthy of a spot on your fantasy team.
0: And I'm, I'm assuming based on that, you're probably going to agree with me here. Looking at our projections for uh, Kavon Bijou here in the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide, 230 batting average, 16 home runs, and 10 stolen bases. I would think that's probably closer to his ceiling for this year. Probably. Uh, would you agree with me on that?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yep. So that's where it is on video. Now another infielder who's quite interesting about 80 picks later is Mike Moustakas. A couple of years ago, he was the guy that you were going, he's going to be the guy that gives me some power and let's hope for the batting average. And he delivered, especially 2017, 2018, 2019, and even the eight home runs in 2020 aren't horrible per se, but especially in the last two years, the strikeout rate has jumped. The batting average has tanked and last year he had some injury issues, but Last year, the wheels essentially just fully came off, but he's still in a good park, still in a good lineup. The universal DH is in play. He figures to be one of the guys that gets a good chunk of at-bats at the DH spot if they don't choose, as I mentioned before, one of their 18 outfielders to put as their DH. But Mike Mustakis at pick 369 seems criminal.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's still capable of hitting 20-plus homers and a decent batting average, right? So to get him for basically free that late in the draft, I mean, yeah, 2020 was a bad year. But then again, how many dudes had good years in a 40-something game stint in 2020 when everybody was thrown off by the protocols and essentially playing in bubbles and no fans in the stands and all that good stuff? Um, And then last year, he got injured. Right. So it wasn't a great showing—a A 208 average and six homers, not great over 62 games, but it was only 62 games. Um, so I think if he comes back healthy and they give him some time at second, you know, at, at DH. Then you can save him a little bit in terms of the injuries uh, and wear on the body. And, yeah, we can't forget that he's playing half of his games at Great American Small Park. Right. That ballpark is still very hitter friendly. The lineup is going to produce power. You can't avoid power anywhere in that lineup. Um, so yeah, um, I think this is a steal at this point where Mike moustakas is going, to be perfectly frank.
0: Yeah, and he hit 208 last year with just six home runs. But when you look, I mean, the last game he played was in middle of May. He didn't return until August. But when you look through the prior to the injury, You know, he had four home runs and 104 plate appearances. Strikeout rate at 17% was much closer to where it's been in years past. Now I get 241, not a great batting average, but for him, compared to the past two years, that's half decent. So that batting average holds and the power remains. 240 with 20-plus homers is well, well, well within the range uh, or the realm of possibilities for Mustakis.
1: Right, and even in an adjusted season, like a short injury-shortened season, his BABIP was was pretty well on pace to where it's been not I mean it's not anything to write home about but that tells you that it was mostly just the injury that kind of sapped his season um but you know the runs in the RBI were still there too so I think if he comes back and he's healthy we could be looking at a at a resurgence for Mike Moustakas
0: absolutely and those numbers were tanked by post injury 177 batting average 27% strikeout rate he's what he was pre injury is more indicative of what he is compared to what he was post injury but outside of the top 400 we're almost getting into the top 5 or the 500 range we got Tyrone Taylor in Milwaukee seems on twitter he's getting a little bit of a hype as that potential late round guy that could take a nice little jump into being quite the fantasy asset and i'll tell you what Tyrone Taylor against lefties was money for me last year in DFS. I remember writing the value vault and pretty much if there was a lefty against the Brewers, as long as Tyrone Taylor was well priced in that range, he was in that article hit 298 against lefties. Only 220 against righties, but did have seven home runs. So Tyrone Taylor, cheap power speed guy outside of the top 400. Again, we're looking for reasons to draft someone. Tyrone Taylor certainly fits that playing time should be there as well. So Tyrone Taylor for you, is he a guy you're going to definitely be looking to draft?
1: Yeah. He's a target of mine late in drafts for sure. For one key reason, the DH is now in Milwaukee, right? They've got an excess amount of outfielders. They've got an excess amount of bats in general in Milwaukee. Um, and he was he was good. I mean, he wound up playing basically a ha- a little more than a half a season last year with ninety three games, two hundred and seventy one plate appearances. So he's getting you know a smattering of plate appearances per game, not quite the full amount there. But even in a in you know basically a half a season hitting in the bottom half of the order, he hit near two fifty, which you'll take. He hit twelve homers, six steals, had forty three RBI and thirty three runs. I don't see anything wrong with that for a a half-a-season outlook. The strikeout rate was reasonable at just under 22%. That's not, you know, you'd like to see it a little lower, but that's not terrible. Um, Walk rate was perfectly decent at about 7.5%. So I don't see any reason why he wouldn't continue to get at-bats this year. He might not play a full lot of at-bats. He might only play about two-thirds of the games. Um, depending on if they decide he's only going to play outfield or if he's going to, you know, play outfield and DH for them, or if he just keeps the platoon split. But either way, a guy who could go 15 and eight, 18 and eight, if the, if things fall the right way with a, you know, 245 average, that's why wouldn't you take that this late? Now, I mean, 482. We just talked about if you're in a 12-team league that's in that's got a 30-round selection, that's 360 players, right? So, like, he's free. You're digging for him at that point, and he still has value there. So um, I don't see why we wouldn't uh, look at Tyrone Taylor.
0: Yep, yeah, but you put it in there, I was basically going to say it's like a 15-10 season with a 245-250 batting average going to be his ceiling. But you mentioned perhaps 18 homers, so I might put you to that 18-10. to Tyrone Taylor's a guy, I, I I do believe he'll be double-digit power speed guy this year, batting average somewhere between 240 and 250. I think that is a sweet spot for him in I mean, we
1: just talked about Akil Badu, right? Mm-hmm. And him being capable of like a 2015 guy. Right in the 255 batting average range. He's going to pick 156. Tyrone Taylor is not that far off from the numbers we just said for Badu, And he's going 330 picks later. There it is.
0: Math, math with Matt Sells. There it is. Tyrone Taylor is the poor man's Akil Badu. We'll call him that for this year. And there you hopefully go. we don't talk it. Don't talk it too much and don't tell a lot of people because we want to keep the price point down on Tyrone Taylor so we can draft, him, especially with TGFBI drafts coming up. So definitely excited for that. But we'll put a bow on this week's episode here. So, Matt, let everyone know what you got coming up here, draft guide, any NASCAR, anything like that, and then where they can find you on the Twitter machine.
1: Um, so we've got some, some updates coming for some rankings. Obviously, the Josh, Josh Jung injury uh, kind of lowers his stock at this point because there's no timetable for – exactly when he's going to get back to doing anything baseball related. Um, so that'll lower him in some of my rankings. So I'll have those updates for you as well. And depending on what happens with the lockout and whatnot, there might be some, some more updates coming uh, depending on how quickly guys sign and, uh, and whatnot there, but mostly it's uh, NASCAR in the back, you know, half of the week for me, we got podcasts and track breakdowns and rankings and playbooks and, lineups and everything for uh, Auto Club this weekend, which is out in Fontana, California, basically about an hour uh, east of L.A. Um, So, yeah, we continue to roll out the NASCAR stuff. Uh, Family Times podcast coming out later this week, too. So, yeah, kind of a lot of kind of a lot of stuff going on here.
0: Always, always, always a lot going on. Fantasy Alarm, DFS Alarm, and across the board. So I'll have an article on Universal DH coming out this week. I believe we start positional breakdowns as well in the draft guide this week. I'm sure Howard will continue with the top unsigned free agents at each position. So once again, if you do not have Fantasy Alarm, Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide, make sure you go get it now, especially drafts are coming right around the corner. And once this lockout ends drafts are only going to pick up more so make sure you get that get a hold of it get it in your back pocket for drafts as well as just all the great research that you'll need everything from all different league types or some dfs strategy pieces that i believe have come out or they will be coming out so make sure you check that out as well but for matt sells at the salesman on twitter and i'm colby conway at colby r conway on twitter we will see you next week